0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, report, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You are listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Beauty
1: and the Beast. My dear Belle, you're so ahead of your time. This is a small village. You are the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. Nobody deserves you. It. And it's small minded as well. But small also means safe. I will
2: escape, I promise. Look, a girl. Who said that? Hello. You can talk. Hello, horse. It's all he ever does.
1: How lovely to make your acquaintance. Wanna see me do a trick? What happens when the last petal falls? The Mastel remains a beast forever. We become antiques.
2: What did you do to it? Nothing. Get out of here! Go!
0: Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for the 2017 remake of Beauty and the Beast. And the story, for those of you that have been living under a rock for the past 20 somewhat years, is as follows. Belle is a bright, beautiful, and independent young woman and she is taken prisoner by a beast in its castle. Despite her fears, she befriends the castle's enchanted staff and learns to look beyond the beast's hideous exterior, allowing her to recognize the kind heart and soul of the true prince that hides on the inside. The cast is starring Emma Watson, Dan Stevens, Luke Evans, Kevin Kline, Josh Gad, Ewan McGregor, Stanley Tucci, Audra McDonald, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, Ian McKellen, and Emma Thompson. It is directed by Bill Condon and written by Stephen Chabosky and Evan Spilopoulos, uh, Greek. Anyways, joining me for this review, I have Mike Vermette. Hey, everybody. And Kristen Lopez. I'm
2: surprised there was no be our guest joke at the intro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Kristen, if you would just be my guest and tell me your thoughts on this movie, uh, I would really appreciate
2: it. But jump bump. Um okay, I am a huge Disney person. I go to Disneyland once a year. I love it. I love most Disney movies, especially from this time period. The Little Mermaid is still my favorite movie of all time. And yes, I know it's not feminist. So don't give me, you know, that whole feminism thing. I I know it's bad. Um but I had trepidations when the trailer for this came out. I didn't think the effects looked very good, it just seemed unnecessary, and boy was I proven right, because I didn't like this one at all. Um, It looks beautiful, if you can get over the fact that and most of the stuff that's outside is probably heavily green screen
0: No, it definitely shot on a back lot easily yeah. you never back see lot, the sky yeah, it's, it's practical I think yeah, yeah. there's never a shot where you see in the sky at all which
2: <laughs> ordinarily I would you know applaud old school filmmaking but here it just seems that you question where the budget went um, The it went to those
0: interiors
2: exactly the interior okay I'll say the interiors are lovely the production design on this is beautiful that being said, the story was good on its own. This was a movie that transcended the animated boundaries and was nominated for Best Picture in 91. So you're working with some grade A material here. You don't need to add. You should stick with what works, which I didn't think that we needed the weird haphazard extensions of the stories. We didn't need to have the additional songs, I which just play like... We're trying to win a Best Original Song Oscar. Um, mm-hmm. And none of the songs have any proper introduction. They play like Amazon snippets. It almost seemed like they're trying to recreate City of Stars, which was kind of played at different points throughout the movie. and just kind of starts and stops. It doesn't work here. Um, the cast is fine. They're just fine. There's no chem- real chemistry between Emma Watson and Dan Stevens. There's no real passion for any of the lines they're saying. The best part is Luke Evans, and when I'm saying the best part of is Luke Evans, that's a problem because I despise him. But he's literally the best part of this movie. Um, I didn't I didn't like it at all. Wow.
0: Okay, Mike Vermette, what do you have?
1: All
2: right. Well, um, I will say
1: I did like it. Um, I liked it quite a bit. I didn't expect to based on the trailers. I didn't think. I thought the CGI looked a little wonky in the trailers. I thought it looked way better in the movie as a whole than it did in the trailers. Um, I liked... The only new original song that I liked is Evermore. That's sung by Dan Stevens as The Beast. I thought that one was really good and really um, impactful at that point in the movie. Yeah, um, Kevin Klein's song is fine. But again, I agree with Kristen that it kind of like comes in like an Amazon snippet. Um, there's no real build-up to it. Those are the, definitely the two best original songs... Um, I, my biggest problem with this movie, and again, I liked the production design. I liked, you know, everything about that. And I even did like the practical look of the outside sets. And I went to the fan event for this. So they had like a behind the scenes before the movie started and they actually showed them like building that back lot. Um, and it was actually really cool to watch and maybe that's why I appreciate it a little bit more having seen that, you know, the backstory to it. But, um, I definitely liked that aspect of it. I like that it wasn't CGI, that it was, um, you know, practical effects. My biggest complaint with this movie is that the editing. I think the editing is yes! horrendous. Um, especially in the ballroom scene, which is, like, the big highlight of the movie. And it's almost unwatchable. Like, no joke, I really felt like I was going to have a seizure watching it. That's how badly edited it was. There are so many cuts to all over the room. And, like, in the original, the big scene, the big sequence was showing the ceiling, and that's, like, one of the first 3D animation um, scenes in a major movie. And, like, they didn't even go up to the ceiling. They kind of showed around, like, the instruments playing on the walls. It was very bizarre.
2: The dance sequence was the scene that pissed me off the most, yeah, because that scene should be—I don't understand what it is it with people be trying— everything. It should be everything, including seeing the dancing, and— it just the camera is so spastic and moving. All you can let the no camera stop. They dancing
1: either. They have yes. no chemistry with yes. the dancing. Thank
2: because you. Because she's
0: dancing with a CGI uh, green but really suited man. The, she's
1: a green suited man. I mean, there is somebody there that she's dancing with, but they just have no chemistry in that dance scene. And to me, that's the only scene in the movie where I was really pulled out of it. I'm like, wow, this is this is really bad. Um, overall, I thought it was really good. I enjoyed almost everything in that movie. So, okay. Um, I have a lot, a lot of points to make
0: here.
2: I I had to restrain myself, too, because I was like, I got a lot. (laughs) Uh,
0: Hopefully, based on what I say here, we can go off a little bit. And also, too, I I forgot to mention, this is a spoiler review because we've all seen a 1991 uh, Disney original. If you're listening to this, I bet you you've seen it as well. We all know how this story goes. So... It doesn't veer far away from this whatsoever. I think it's safe to say spoilers are all right here. So let me first start off by saying that the 1991 original is a 10 out of 10 from me. It is a masterpiece. It is perfect. I think it's one of the best Disney films of all time. I sometimes flip-flop between Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King as my own personal favorite number one ever. Um, So this movie really... You know, in terms of what's added, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that they added stuff. I think the execution of it is what uh, hurts it ultimately. So right away, from the very beginning, as soon as the movie starts, it it moves super fast. You know, in the original, we we get a push into the castle, we get to hear some of Alan Menken's uh, music, and then the voiceover starts. This thing, it's just like woof, voiceover, and we're already like into whatever this uh, flashback is, which we're seeing play out before us. Um, and I appreciate the fact that we actually saw um, the prince, even though he looked like the Joker for some reason with all that makeup. Um, it, it just like, it, it was very, very bizarre. Um, and, you know, the costumes, the production design, I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. This has like kind of like a uh, Phantom of the Opera extravagant
2: there quality so, to it. So That's essentially what this is. They're trying to remake... Phantom of the Opera, but, like, it ends up being mm-hmm. the the Schumacher, Phantom of the Opera.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, no, you're right about that. Um, you know, so the, the movie starts off very, very quickly, and right away I was like, oh, my God, this movie has bad editing. I could tell instantly. Um, the other moment, I'll just say about the bad editing, because there's many moments throughout the movie, but there's the scene when uh, they're throwing the snowballs at each other. And he throws one and decks her right in the face at one point. How awesome would it have been in the next scene she had a big black eye? It would have been great. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, but, yeah, and they cut away to them just at dinner uh, right from that moment. And it just felt very jarring to me. And I think the reason why that moment sticks out is because that was the moment where I laughed the hardest in the whole movie. Uh, because she literally gets drilled so hard. I, I would not be kind to this beast and think that he was a nice individual at that point. <laughs> like, he just he just nailed me right in the face. Um, very hard, with the biggest snowball I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, getting off of that for a moment. Kevin Klein, I actually thought was okay as Maurice. I didn't think he was bad. Um, and I like the backstory about Belle's mother. Um, I didn't like the whole trip to Paris, I I thought that was getting a little like, okay, okay, we're deviating a little too much. But, you know, the song that was added, um, the backstory, just fleshing out the characters, I I admire that they tried to flesh out uh, the character. I admire that they tried to flesh out LeFou and give him uh, more to do here in the story. And I echo um, your statements as well in that I think Luke Evans and Josh Gad are the best thing about this movie. Yeah, Josh Gad's fantastic. I think Luke Evans is perfect as Gaston. Yeah, I Honestly, agree. I really do. I know some people have complained about his voice isn't deep enough like when he sings or he doesn't like have like the biggest biceps in the world or whatever the case may be. But he's got the look, he's got the swagger, and god, this guy can sing. You know, the 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 the, the musical number Gaston in this movie is for me the best song in the whole film. It looks to be the most fun. It looks to be the one where you're seeing the most going on on a practical level, Pe- like actual people dancing on an actual set, uh, looking like they're having a ball, essentially. You know, all the other numbers in the movie, it's, you know, maybe one, two people singing, uh, there's heavy CGI involved with something like Be Our Guest, but, you know, it's... Okay, so like like I said, I'm getting a little scatter shot here. I, I know I'm kind of going all over the place, but... Uh, moving over to the, uh, since I just touched upon BR guest, the inanimate objects in the castle. I also thought everybody was really good. I really did. Even McGregor's French accent is really bad. Yes. But I still was charmed by Lumiere. I really liked Ian McKellen as Cogsworth. I mean, everybody I thought did a really great job as the inanimate objects. Belle and Bisto mixed bag. Um, Dan Stevens, I watch Legion, I've seen Downton Abbey, I know Dan Stevens' voice, that is not Dan Stevens' voice, that is Dan Stevens' voice, uh, put through, you know, digital I call it, I call it the apocalypse
2: device, because he, it's the exact same thing that they did with X-Men. Yeah, oh that's God. Like, yeah. yeah. CGI mm-hmm. and auto-tune yeah, no, the voice, because God forbid you want someone recognizable, right?
0: So the question I have about this version here of Beating the Beast is why – and I'm sure they tried this maybe in pre-production, but why wouldn't you just do uh, practical makeup? Why do you have to do a CGI face? It worked in
2: the the 80s television show, right? Yeah.
1: It worked on Broadway. That's true. I I just want to say that I I think that it would have looked a little weird. No. In like today's day and age if we would have had a practical like – Monster up there. I, I don't. Th- I think this, for me the CGI worked. I thought the CGI was really good on the beast. Oh, I thought
0: it was. I thought it was bad. I yeah,
2: thought was I bad. thought the CGI. I'm going to say I thought the CGI on the all the characters was bad because. With, oh no! With the inanimate objects, I couldn't see expressions especially on Lumiere. So you're reliant on voice performance to garner emotion. Um, with Dan Stevens. Yeah, the CGI just looks silly to me. Um, I think it would have worked with some type of practical effect because it's evident that uh, Emma Watson is dancing with somebody in a motion capture suit. And I think that that limits the chemistry that they have. The, uh, The thing that really irked me about Dan Stevens' performance more than anything is the voice. Because if you watch the 91 film, Robbie Benson's vocal performance... He conveys just anger. I mean, the thing that we forget about the Beast is that he's an angry, bitter asshole. And when Dan Stevens says his lines, there's no rage in that voice. There's no hostility. It's just like blind, snooty contempt. You know, and that's about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely, completely agree with you on that. Um, so I thought he was completely bland yeah. as a result of it. And as and unfortunately, as a consequence, I couldn't buy into the relationship that he and Belle were supposed to have in this version. Um, God, I was rooting for Gaston uh, towards the end. I, I was like, yeah, Gaston and kill it's that piece. It's
2: hard not to because of the things they add into the Beast backstory. We start with a mass ball that looks like it's Madonna's '93 VMA performance, um, <laughs> and I was sitting here thinking, okay. I guess we're going to ignore the fact that the Beast, I guess, was cursed as an 11-year-old child, so that's fine. Um, But we're being shown that he's this wealthy, entitled ass. Okay, that's fine. But then when Belle shows up, we remove the crucial scene from the 91 film where we learn that the Beast can't fucking read. And she has to teach him how to read. And that, I think, says a lot about their relationship in the animated film, because he's entitled, and he's also unintelligent. He feigns this know-it-all attitude, and she has to kind of, like, bring him down a peg by being like, Look, I got things to teach you. You have brute strength, but I have something more powerful and more valuable. Here... There is a scene where he literally mansplains Shakespeare to her.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have to say, though, I did like – what I did like from this one, and I agree with you that it was weird they took out that hole that he can't read from the original. But what I thought was kind of cool is that in this version, he loves reading. And, like, that's the only thing that he's been doing since he's become the Beast is, like, reading all these books in his library.
0: I I think they were struggling maybe from a story standpoint to figure out, like, in this modern uh, update – how these two would actually fall in love. Because yeah. the 1991 original, um, you can do it in a very simplistic way. Um, but I think they were worried that for today's audience, they needed to have something a little bit more quote-unquote organic, but it doesn't fully work here. The
2: hardest thing to get over Beauty and the Beast is whether Belle's love, quote-unquote, for the Beast, is because of Stockholm Syndrome. You know, is it because mm. of her captivity? That's always been... Kind of the big takeaway that that critical scholars looking at it from a gender perspective have always wondered about, and that's what I was hoping. And this person,
1: she's only there for a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, they actually say how long she's the ninety
2: one film. She's there for months. You know, it's yeah,
1: she's there for a week in it, this it,
2: exactly, month, so. and that's what I think you lose. So that makes the relationship even worse, because you're like, okay, they fall in love in a week. You know, that's the hardest part, I think, with Because he's movies. the only
0: man in her life exactly. that's ever read Shakespeare. Exactly,
2: exactly. <laughs> and see, those are, I think the relationship falls apart even worse in the 91 version, because you have all these little conceits where you're like, wait, so she falls in love with him because he can read, and he knows Shakespeare, and she's been there a week. And she's probably still really wants to get out and like stay with her dad. I mean, there is a way they could. I wanted them to explain or at least look at whether have Emma Watson have a moment where she's like, am I in love with this dude? Because I'm like stuck here. Or is there something I mean, that's what I think the something their song is supposed to convey. And it really doesn't do that.
0: It doesn't do that
2: in either version, but it really doesn't do that here.
0: Could I uh, nitpick two other things that bothered me for a moment here too? Um, One on a bigger level and one just more on a practical, like, why would you do this level? So the practical why would you do this level is if the beast is so concerned – about Belle touching the fucking rose outside in the glass container. Why would you put it in a glass container outside where the weather elements could easily destroy it then?
2: And it never the left, left the West Wing in the original film.
0: Mm-hmm. I I don't I, I did not understand that when he was like all mad at her and he's like, Get out, go, you know? And I'm like Dude, you just got, like, so worried about this moment that could have happened when a huge gust of wind just needs to come around and blow that shit over. You know, I, I just did not understand um, why he would have it outside as opposed to inside. But whatever. The second thing. D- 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 what I keep wanting to call her Enchantress from the fucking Suicide Squad, but Agatha, whatever the, whatever the yeah. hell this thing is. She was not needed in this at all. Oh, my God. You that. Like, what was that plot device? Are you kidding me?
2: It literally goes nowhere. She shows up in the end for no reason. It almost seemed like there were more scenes that maybe might have been cut.
0: Mm-hmm. To give it, like, more of a... Because well, uh, you're expecting
2: a confrontation at the end. That's what I was waiting for. When she shows up, you're expecting some type of either confrontation or or moment of redemption and remorse from him. Mm-hmm. And it never happened. She just kind of stands there, which led me to assume, is this part of a bigger scene or a different cut? That an edit issue? I, I was so confused about why she's standing there doing nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, did anybody else yeah, think... It was a little strange. Did anybody else think that she sort of looked like uh, Meryl Streep?
2: <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> my, anyways. My bigger little nitpick... Little my bigger nitpick was um, the songs, which there's actually...
0: The newly added songs.
2: Just did the songs in general. There was actually a Vulture article that came out in the last couple of days that was um, putting this in La La Land simultaneously, asking if it was time to bring back dubbing of actors because... The songs here are sung pleasantly. Emma Stone, or Emma Stone, I knew I was going to say Emma Stone at a certain point during this review. Emma Watson <laughs> has a very sweet voice. She would not have been out of place in Wawa La La Land, I think, because mm-hmm. I think her and Emma Stone have the same vocal range.
0: Yeah, I, I would argue that Emma Stone uh, is the be- uh, not Emma Stone, I would argue that Emma Watson is the better singer. She's a, she's
2: a slightly better singer, but the songs don't have that... Build to them that power to them, it's just a nice little aria. Um, you know, if anybody's seen like Sweetie Todd, Joanna, okay, that's kind of it, it's like a nice little lilt. Um, mm-hmm. Dan Stevens has a nice voice, it's not great. The songs don't really crescendo, which is why when you see Audra McDonald in this movie, that woman. <laughs> the one root singer gets 49 exactly. seconds of singing exactly that is where he kept hitting my head how dare you have audra mcdonald queen godra in a movie and not use her
0: let me ask you a question do you think there is this there is a scenario there is a way that they could have cast um a better singer um and a i don't i don't want to say better actress but an unknown actress in the role as Belle, and then have her be surrounded by all these
1: well-known yeah. actors. Yeah. Oh yeah, they could have done it. I think so too, because the star of this movie isn't Emma Watson; it's the IP. It's Belle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, and that's
2: that's what they were talking about. Because Guy Ritchie is casting, supposedly casting unknowns for Aladdin, because they want to avoid whitewashing. But also, I mean, yeah, that's that's a valid discussion. People are not going to see Beauty and the Beast because Emma Watson and Dan Stevens are in it. They're going to see it because because it's Beauty and the Beast. Exactly. And and that's always been my argument. Did anybody go see Moana because, you know, Dwayne Johnson was in it and it just happened to have this unknown, you know, Hawaiian girl as the lead? No, they went because it's a Disney animated movie. So I I always think that the whole conceit that they need A-list stars for these movies on top of the intellectual property... You don't. <laughs>
0: um, moving over to something that I actually do like uh, for a moment in this movie. Alan Menken's score is phenomenal.
2: It's always been phenomenal, though.
0: Yeah,
1: it's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, uh, even some of these updated renditions uh, of classic tracks that you hear in the original, um, I, I was definitely just... Wowed by how amazing that score is.
1: It and I saw this in IMAX, so I was really blown away by you know how good it was. Because mm-hmm. you really it adds to it. Did you see the 3D, Mike? I did.
0: How was the 3D? Because I could totally tell there were some shots that were like, oh, this is definitely going to look cool
1: in 3D. You know what I mean? I mean, I gotta tell you, that giant snowball that he throws at Bell's head actually like pushed me back. That's how like it really came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it added a whole lot to it. But I have to say, it was actually, I think, one of the better 3D conversions I've seen. Um, usually the conversions are really dark, and it's, it's like, weird. Like, they're weirdly done. Um, this one actually was really bright, and it was actually hard to tell. Like, you wouldn't have even known that it was 3D except for the fact that you have the glasses on. It was actually really subtle and really well done. I liked the way that it looked.
0: Nice, nice. Uh, moving over to uh, some of the uh, side characters for a moment. Of the inanimate objects who would you all say uh probably did the best job aka was your favorite
1: i would say cogsworth i think was the best one um and that's just because he has the biggest face so i think he was the most expressive Mm -hmm. of the inanimate objects but i just you know you can't go wrong with ian mckellen i mean that that dude's just a legend yeah absolutely
2: i didn't really care for anybody but um i mean emma emma thompson's fine as Mrs. Yeah, Potts. I thought, she's, I did not
0: think she did a bad job with beating the Beast at she's all. She's imitating. She did a really good job.
2: I think she's imitating Angela Lansbury a bit too heavily, but she's always solid, so.
0: Did anybody else, uh, during the ending credits, have a moment? Because I didn't know if this person was in the movie, actually, where they went, holy shit, that's Stanley Tucci.
2: No, I knew that when we saw him in the beginning Yeah, I knew too,
0: yeah Okay, I had no idea that was Staley Tucci <laughs> With the wig and the makeup and everything I literally had no idea And, oh god, he's just such a great character actor I, 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 I do, I,
2: I, did, I did think it was funny again Because we were talking about a better act, you know, better singers being in this movie Instead of Emma Watson We did have the Raw in this movie As the yeah. feather duster mm-hmm. And she can sing Oh, yeah. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, we would have had multi you know, diversity, ge- geographic diversity, and it would have been better sung. So and
0: s- instead, we got bestiality in this, essentially. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, was, I was really nervous when she went to like kiss him at the end. I was like, what are they going to do here? It's going to look a little strange. Mm-hmm. Her like tongue kissing this dog. <laughs> but they went for the forehead kiss instead. Um LeFou. And the
0: big quote unquote controversy that is uh, surrounding uh, what Bill Condon and uh, Josh Gad have added to this character—did it bother anybody? Did they feel they didn't go too far
1: with it? What, like, Give what me was a your break. take? If that bothered anybody, you're an asshole. <laughs> I
2: think it was yeah, it was on. much ado about nothing at all because yeah, exactly. because it's most people would say that they always kind of assumed Lafou much like the character of like Wiggins from Pocahontas. We all knew that there was something different. And for me, when Disney did the announcement, it almost seemed like they were trying to retcon their own history. Like, oh, yeah, that was intentional in 91. We always were like that. We totally knew he was gay. We planned it from the get go back in the 90s. Um, And I was like, okay. And then at the end, when it happens, it is a blinking you miss it moment. It is literally a blink and you miss a moment. And I thought it was immediately underscored by the fact that it's supposed to be a comical moment with the guy who in the preceding scene was in a dress as a laugh line.
0: Yeah, I, I actually, for a split second, if if I didn't know going into it, if I didn't know that that was supposed to be another man, I would have maybe have been mistaken in thinking that that was actually a woman uh, in that final scene when they're dancing together. Because it was a blink and you miss it sort of thing, I knew to yeah, look out for that. it. It
1: looked like a it looked like a guy, but
0: <clears throat> I, I mean, maybe maybe I'm a little fuzzy on it. Who knows? Uh, but I, I agree with Chris in the sense that it was blink it and you'll miss it sort of moment, and it didn't really call attention to itself as much as it could have. If
2: you don't hear, if you didn't hear Disney's quote, if you're not looking for mm-hmm. it, you're not going to see Absolutely. it. Right? I, I
0: think that's understand.
1: maybe what happened. There's, with there's me. nothing in this movie where you're like, oh man, like that's so like blatantly, you know, homosexually. That was the
2: thing. I thought when they said that they were going to make LeFou more, like, of an out character, I thought he was going to be, like, way gayer, you know, like...
1: I like to say he's not gay, he's just French.
2: That's true, exactly. You could always make that argument as well. Like, there are scenes with Gaston where, you know, I was like, okay, essentially what they're saying is that they want to make him, like, the the schlubby, repressed guy who's got to hang out with, like, the overly homoerotic stereotype of, you know, a Hawkeye, um, it's, again, it's a very reductive look at homosexuality on the surface, um, but if anything, I thought they were going to do more things with them interacting that would have been perceived as gay to somebody who was, like, wandering by, and they don't do that. It is literally an ending s- scene. It's an end cap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree 100%. A couple of other uh, notes here that I just wrote down, uh, completely random, but I just want to uh, draw attention to these moments here. Um, did anyone else feel like there was always a cheesy one-liner at the end of every single song in this movie?
2: I don't recall them, but I've seen the movie so long ago that I just don't remember. Yeah, I don't.
1: I didn't pick up on that.
0: Like, we have to add a, a joke here at the end uh, to kind of, like, put a cap on what it is that just happened, essentially. Uh, if you guys didn't notice it, I I, I mean, it's fine. Um, <laughs> overhead shot of Paris. I immediately thought of Hunchback in Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, that. What else do I have written down here? Um, the one black guy in the village is not phased by the fact that there is a beast and is all like, what the fuck is wrong with all these people? <laughs> like, where <laughs> everybody else is, like, in an uproar. The one black guy, just straight-faced, <laughs> he's like, I don't care. Which I, I really – I don't know what that was supposed to be, but um, Be Our Guest probably looks amazing in 3D.
1: Yeah, 3D is definitely worth it. So that's definitely a huge boon for me. I think it's really good in 3D.
0: Forevermore is um, – it does not match Dan Stevens' speaking voice. And then later on when I found out that Josh Groban, uh actually did a version of the song – I started saying to myself, oh, that makes sense. That was Josh That was Josh Groban in the movie and that's why it didn't match Dan Stevens at all. But then somebody corrected me later and said, no, no, no. Dan Stevens also has a version and that is what's in the movie and Josh Groban is just on the soundtrack.
1: Yeah, I actually like the Dan Stevens version better. Yeah.
2: Either way, Andrew Lloyd Webber needs to have his hand out because it sounds like something that was from not Phantom of the Opera, but remember the Phantom of the Opera sequel, Love Never Dies? It sounds exactly like a reject from that song
0: i still like the song though uh, like i've I actually don't. listened to I it to on its own yeah. separately i think its placement in the movie is weird i don't like that it takes place after he sends her away i i i just didn't feel like at that moment in that time we needed a song
2: that's yeah that's the most phantom of the opera e part of the movie because he's standing outside on yeah. like this parapet or whatever i was literally waiting for Gerard Butler to start singing um, from Phantom because it seems like a scene just ripped directly from it. So, and not your best inspiration if you want to inspire a musical.
0: Well, let's kick it off now to final thoughts. Great out of 10 and any Oscar potential. Mike Vermette, you go first.
1: All right. Well, again, I'm going to just echo what I said before. I really liked this movie. Um, I actually did buy into their relationship Um, of Belle and Beast, I liked all the CGI, especially on the Beast. I thought his face was very expressive. Um, I was able to, again, buy into that relationship with the two of them. Um, and I was talking on this before, but I kind of got cut off a little bit. I especially liked, there's a scene with them in the library where he tells her that the library is hers now. And I thought that was so important to their relationship because he's such a reader and like, this is him passing the thing he loves to her because he loves her more. Um, so, overall, again, I really bought into everything. I liked all the songs. Um, my only big gripe for that movie is the ballroom dance sequence and the editing in the movie, I think, overall, is pretty horrific. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's really, really good. I definitely enjoyed it. Enjoyed the IMAX, enjoyed the 3D. Never felt like it was a waste of an upgrade to IMAX. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. And uh, Oscar predictions, I would say costume design and production design. All right. Kristen Lopez.
2: Uh, okay. So the animated film tells you why you have it's – a, it's a tight script. It's a great script. This movie kind of undoes all of that. I've said before that Disney has, needs to come up with a good why for why they want to do these live-action remakes short of printing money. Because I think this movie says more than anything, we have no concept of anything else other than printing money. Because this isn't shot for shot, it's just adding on stupid things that are utterly pointless in the long run. Um, These movies, I I think uh, Josh Spiegel was the one who said that these movies are starting to feel like Disney's method of 3D re-releases when they used to re-release their animated films. And I'm inclined to agree. Um, Everybody's fine. Everybody's fine, but this is a movie that was nominated for Best Picture as an animated film. This isn't going to get nominated for Best Picture (laughs) at all. Um, It's fine. Everybody's pleasant and sweet and cute, um, but there's no passion there. There's no chemistry. There's no fond remembrances. This is not going to be something that you can say you have a memory of going to see with your family as a small child, like I would say... I have with the original um so I I wanted to love this I wanted to say that this was going to prove Disney has a goal with these movies no they really don't um Oscar predictions I would say production design maybe an original song if somebody's really blown away by probably the Dan Stevens song because that's the one the only one I recall um And that would be about it. Uh, But overall, this is getting a 5 out of 10 for me. I was really, really disappointed.
0: Okay, so as I was saying before, this movie is very fast. It doesn't have a good sense of pacing. The costumes and the production design are absolutely incredible. But a lot of what this film gets right is undone by some very campy acting. um, Some horrible voiceover narration, which I still don't understand why that needed to be in the movie itself. And the biggest crime of all is that it doesn't uh, do enough to separate itself from the Disney original. And when I say enough, I say this because the moments where it does try to do it, it doesn't do it well. So, you know, in my opinion, it was either you either do a carbon copy, psycho-esque shot for shot remake of the 1991 original, which is perfect, by the way, like Kristen said, or you try your best to do a new spin on the story and presented to a modern-day audience, um, kind of like what the Jungle Book did in many ways. This almost feels like a made-for-TV film, and how it is shot and edited. And never once did I ever feel um, that the film was using mood and atmosphere to carve out its own identity for itself, other than to copy the original and to play on our emotions with that. Um, There's also some very questionable moments that carry over from the original because they're trying, like I said, to not veer away too far from it. But it just doesn't work in a live action setting, such as the horse Philippe. Like, that horse is the most amazing horse on the freaking planet. He's the smartest horse in Paris. Yeah, I know that this is a movie that's filled with magic, but it just doesn't translate well um, the things that this horse does in this movie. Disney
2: loves them some smart horses that (laughs) do death-defying stunts.
0: Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, And how is it Winter and Belle has shoulder-revealing clothing? I I just don't understand. Um, You know, there's there's, there's many things in this movie that just had me questioning if you're going to do a live-action remake, you either have to portray it um, in a more realistic manner, Um, to give it more of an updated feel, or you just don't... You don't try to find a happy medium. You just don't. I appreciate the moments where, from a storytelling perspective, you know, uh, fleshing out Belle's uh, mother, um, giving that backstory to Maurice. Um, Also, the... Uh, you know, I need you to stand when she saves him from the wolves. Um, The fact that the villagers, there's a uh, spell cast on all of them and they forget all memory of anybody in the castle itself. I don't know why nobody ever, you know, goes out into the woods on a hunt or something and just happens to stumble upon the castle, considering how close it feels like it is. Like nobody can see this in a distance from like a high up top, like Hill or something. I I just don't understand. Um, so there's a lot of leaps in logic in this movie. As a result, this movie has more bad than it has good for me. And once again, I don't know why this keeps on happening, but the age difference between Luke Evans and Dan Stevens compared to Emma Watson is so distracting to me in this movie. Um,
2: it's a complaint I I have about most films.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's... Mm, it's it's upsetting and it just leads me to say um, what I was trying to say earlier which is that from a casting standpoint there are some roles in this that feel like they're well cast but then there's like problems that reveal themselves like Emma Watson I think it could have been a total unknown that played Belle uh, Ewan McGregor I love that I got to hear him sing again in a movie I love him in Moulin Rouge but that French accent is not good you know so there's some questionable decisions here and there Dan Stevens you know, it, but they don't even use his own voice. <laughs> it's digitally altered. So I, I just don't understand some of the decisions that Bill Condon chose to do with this movie. Suffice to say, audiences out there are loving this version because they love the story. And the story is, tale as old as time. Oh, see what I did there? It's timeless. It is a masterpiece. Um... But I can tell you right now, I'm never going to watch this movie again. I am always going to pop in the 1991 original. Oscar potential, production design, even though the exteriors are, in my opinion, not as good as the interiors. Costume design, I think, is assured, honestly. Some of those costumes were quite stupendous. And then from the original song standpoint, that's very, very iffy. It's still very early in the year. I don't see it necessarily happening, but... It could at this point. So I'll just say for the record, maybe. But I'm giving this a 4 out of 10. Um, I was m- maybe leaning towards a little bit higher, like a 5 at one point, and being completely split. But like I said, more bad than good overall. Mike Matt, where can I find you on Twitter?
1: You can find me on Twitter at vampdt89.
0: And how about you, Kristen? Where can I find you on Twitter?
2: I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film.
0: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we have reviewed Beauty and the Beast, circa 2017. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Player FM. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know your feedback. We would really appreciate it. And we will see you all next time.